The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one today, MP Kevin Vong is here. Amanda Galbraith, principal at Navigator Communications and Strategies. She's also the host of Free for All Fridays. And Shelly Carroll is here, city councillor and cookie baker. Every year, you, it's very nice to be, have you know a city councillor cooking for us. You bet. You bet. A few extras this morning. So what do we make, and this is very much a policing issue, it's about the level of criminality in the city, but also the notion that maybe some people get two-tiered policing. There is a Toronto neighborhood where 57 households were so sick and tired of, for example, doors being kicked in and people being threatened until they turn over their car keys. They hired a company to send a security guard who is now on patrol in this neighborhood every single night. Car thefts have gone to zero. Break-ins have gone to zero, but it costs each household $180 a month. Shelley Carroll, I was listening to uh, Mark Mendelson talking about this, and he said, well, you know, you can clean up that neighborhood. And I thought, yeah, and then they're going to come and break in my neighborhood because we don't have this. Yeah, you, what you want is your police force to be able to do its uh, its best work. And it is important that we remember that you keep reporting crimes. Uh, you might may hire a security guard, but uh, uh, police go where the crimes are. It's very data-driven these days, and so everything needs to be called in so that they know where to be. I hope this uh, uh, community was beforehand, but now that they have a security guard, they've still got to remember that, that they've got to let the police know what's going on. Although Kevin Vong talking to the chief this week, I think we're up to about 18 minutes even for an emergency call. That's right. You know, we're, we're seeing more than 33 car thefts a day. And, you know, on the one hand, we're seeing this data. And the, on the other, I have to wonder if, if city council is seeing it. You know, if you looked at the last uh, council meeting, you'd think that, you know, safety wasn't as big of a priority as it was spending millions of hard-earned taxpayer dollars on renaming Dundas Square. That's not the kind of stuff that Torontonians want our city to address. We want safety. We want to reduce car theft. Except Where are the priorities? anything to rename the square. Zero dollars. Zero city dollars. Well, that's not accurate because you're spending staff time, resources at city council. So, like, perhaps you're not spending, like, are we not buying new signs? Uh, no, uh, TMU is going to pay for the renaming of Dundas Square. So they're paying for all the staff time? Uh, well, no staff time. You got me there. Staff time does uh, cost money. Yeah. But, but to say millions of dollars is just not true. Okay. Well, and Amanda, you can weigh in on, you know, back to the story of this private patrol in uh, a wealthy neighborhood, let's face it. Yeah. I mean, I think, listen, I think there's a couple stories at play here is one, um, I think this neighborhood is being targeted probably because they have nice cars. Um, and, you know, these people, I guess, are fortunate enough or whatever to be able to pay for this. Um, bottom line is, I think, you know, this isn't happening because the police don't want to go out there and catch the bad guys. This is because they don't have the resources to deal with this kind of issue, to my mind. Uh, therefore, either we have people step in and do private policing, which to me, I find candidly is like deeply troublesome and a sign that. Um, we're not accurately resourcing our, our law enforcement or we uh, or we resource them properly to deal with this stuff. Right. So I think it's, you know, because like there are neighborhoods, as we know, in the city that can't afford private policing. Like 
I could probably, I could maybe do 180 bucks extra a month if it brought my insurance premiums down, but like, that's a lot of money for most people, especially right now. So I think this is a, a real, um, I don't know if it's a canary in the coal mine so much, but I think it's certainly uh, something we should take seriously. An aspect in all of this, and Kevin Vong, I'll start with you on this. It just seems anecdotally in observing the crimes that are going on around us, that things are becoming more violent. We had the smash and grab at a mall, at a jewelry store, where the police officer who was um, actually not on duty uh, ended up being pepper sprayed. Uh, We have not only cars being stolen, but people kicking in doors and threatening people until they hand over their car keys. We just talked to a guy who was in that condo shooting in Vaughan, where apparently there's now concern amongst condo board members that they could end up facing something like that. I don't know. Is there something in the air? I I think if you speak to people, there's a few things that they will say consistently, because that's definitely what I'm hearing. One, uh, cost of living is up. Groceries are so expensive. Uh, I can't afford a house or, oh my God, my mortgage can be really high. Uh, when it's refinanced and then the final is i don't feel as safe i can tell you what if you walk the streets of my neighborhoods in downtown toronto everyone will tell you that they do not feel as safe and and i you know i hate to circle back to it but and it ties into the need now for some neighborhoods who can afford to 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 hire private security that's not the type of city that that i want to live in and and i have to ask you know and we're lucky enough to have the budget chief here where is the priorities um, and how are we going to invest the resources to ensure that Tor- Torontonians feel safe? Well, Budget Chief. Well, it, it, it's a, really, if you take the two stories together, it is the tale of two cities. We have a lot of desperation, a lot of mental illness, and a lot of just plain economic desperation. And then on the other hand, we have people uh, doing well enough to be able to, uh, to pay for their own police force, essentially. What we have to do is invest in making sure that, that we reduce the amount of desperation. We need to invest in the people in the city who are hurting most. You heard that yesterday, putting roofs over people's heads. But a lot has to be done in the social development side, because really, mentally and economically, people are still recovering from from the devastation that some felt during COVID. Some people actually got more wealthy. A whole lot of people got a lot less wealthy. And we have a lot of work to do to close the gap between those two. Amanda Galbraith, your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's challenging. I would just say, like, as much as maybe we're giving uh, Councillor Carol uh, the gears today, she's been the budget chief for about <laughs> six months. So, um, like, we can't really lay all the city's ales at her feet, <laughs> for for sure. But I, I think, um, I'm not sure if there's, I don't know. I don't want to believe that there's anything in the air that makes crime more violent. Um, I, I really hope not. Um, I think, honestly, 2023 has been probably a tough time for a lot of folks for a variety of reasons. But um, I I don't think our city is meaner, I guess, if that is the question or more aggressive in any way. I just think people are scared and frustrated and um, hopefully things will get a little easier next year. But John, yeah. you know, if, if I can add... I- I, I think one of the challenges, though, is we're, we're seeing escalations of violence go unanswered. I, I know there was that, that utterance of, of a death threat at Eaton Center um, in front of three police officers, right? And, and a lot of people are asking, well, like, man, what, what, you know, what is that line? At what point will people start to, to be held accountable for, for what are clearly criminal offenses? And, and I think everyone that's left unanswered emboldens others who would do stuff like this. 
Uh, let me stick with you, Kevin, because you signaled that you wanted to talk about the resignation of the guy who heads up. I didn't even know this existed, but there is a board that is responsible for young Dundas Square. He says he's just not going to weigh in on the new name. He just doesn't like that this whole thing was done without any kind of consultation or process. Yeah, and I think it's part of a very concerning trend that that we're seeing where decisions are being made without consultation of, of the broader community being forced down the throats of of local residents. In in this case, listen, let's let's park for a moment how I think it's historically illiterate the move is and the fact that Henry Dunness was actually a slavery abolitionist. I just don't know that it's the best use of city staff time, as, as Amanda was saying, uh, nor do I think it's really uh, a responsible use of, of our hard-earned taxpayer dollars at a time when when we're supposed to be short almost a billion dollars in, in the budget, right? Um, and, and I know Councillor Carroll's only been in the job for for you know a, a number of months, but, but I think a lot of people are asking, you know, how can we spend limited city's time on, on stuff like this when there's so many other issues that, that we have to deal with? Shelley Carroll, let me turn to you for a second, because Mike Fenton, the guy who has resigned from the Young Dundas Square Board of Management, complained about a lack of consultation. And I'll also confess, I follow things closely at City Hall. I didn't see this coming. I woke up one morning, it was in my brief. We've got a new square called, uh, what is it, uh, Sankofa Square. How did we get to that without there ever being a public shortlist? Well, it's funny you should say uh, uh, that you didn't know there was a a Young Dundas Square Board. Uh, A lot of people question whether or not there still needs to be one. When the square was set up, it was set up with its own little board of governance and its uh, its own uh, access to policing, etc. And uh, some people wonder if that still should be the case or if the, the business improvement area around there should just simply be uh, tracking it. But uh, um, what's happened over time is people have forgotten how we got here in the first place. Um, when, when the community, and it was the community, the black community came forward and many supporters with them to say that they wanted something done about things named Dundas. Uh, What we did was commission a a community of black leaders and uh, they asked that indigenous leaders be included in their committee and that that whole group of community leaders was given the task of looking at the renaming of the street, the renaming of things called Dundas that were city assets and to make proposals and to make short lists. Now they did make a short list. I'm surprised to hear that the board didn't hear about it. I couldn't. I couldn't comment on that because I'm. I'm not on that board in any way. Uh, you'd have to talk to uh, the, some of the other members. Is that a paid board? Um, I think they get a small honorary okay. for for being consistent in their uh, meeting attendance. Um, but. Uh, uh, I'm shocked myself to find out uh, this morning that they didn't know anything about this because they could have been told confidentially. Um, But basically what happened was um, the city staff and the mayor decided that if we're going to honor the work of these uh, um, commissioned community leaders, if we're going to honor the work, we can't now peel it apart and debate it in the city for weeks on end. We simply have to bring it to council and say, the community asked us to do this. The community did support commissioning a a committee of community leaders, and these are their findings. They need to simply come to council. The community has done their weighing in. 
Listen, Amanda Galbraith, only 60 seconds, and I wanted to hop on one other story that I was talking about at length just a few minutes ago, and that's the idea of ghost jobs or ghost job listings where people are applying for jobs and they don't actually exist. Yeah, it's. I think it's certainly an issue out there. Um, I candidly, anytime I've done an old-fashioned job application process, which has been rare in my career, hasn't really yielded much. Um, most of my stuff comes through networking, and I heard you talking earlier about that with Mark. So um, I think it would be... Anyway, I think people should take... Maybe, I don't know how you deal with this, but I just think job seekers should probably focus on networking unless you're looking for those entry-level positions. And um, maybe companies can be a little bit more judicious about this so we have a more accurate reflection of what's happening in the labor market. 100%, John. The human resources industry is out of control. Uh, we say we have a job shortage. We have a job shortage at the city in, in a number of uh, realms. And yet, uh, in the private sector and the public sector alike, um, going through the process of being hired and getting on the job is months and months and months long. It's out of control. Control. And all of these departments run by people with their MBA and human resources need to get a little real about putting people in the positions. Thank you all. Good to have you on a somewhat fractious uh, roundtable. Shelley Carroll, Kevin Vong, and Amanda Galbraith. It's time for the 8 o'clock news.